your Bibles, turn to 1 John, 1 John chapter 3. Uh, we're going to continue our series in the light. Um, and as you turn there, 1 John chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 1 through 10. Uh, I'm going to talk about, or we're going to talk about today, how God destroys the devil's work. And if you watch TV at all, there's a series out on ABC called Designated Survivor. And in Designated Survivor, my wife and I got into watching it not too long ago when it came out. It really is like kind of a coup attempt to overthrow the government of the United States. And in the midst of that, they have two designated survivors. In other words, these were guys who were involved in the political system in some way, shape, or form. One was a former congressman. One is a, a well, technically there's one designated survivor, sorry. But uh, one is a former congressman. One is the soon-to-be president who was the head of the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Now, you think you are, our country's bad enough as it is now. Think if you had the Department of Housing and Urban Development now as a president. But long story short, what ends up taking place is a coup attempt in the United States government to overthrow the government and to establish their, whatever you want to call it, new world order. So it really is a drama-filled uh, scenario or situation. But I want you to think about this in light of what we're going to be going to today. God, from the beginning, set up a plan, and his plan was to save his people, to save people. But throughout history and all throughout the time that we have seen over and over and over again, Satan works overtime to create a coup, to overthrow the powers, to attempt to do anything and everything he can to undermine and underwork and attack really what's going on in God's kingdom, to the point of... He has literally set up forces and, and things at work in order to keep people from the truth, in order to blind people, to keep people in darkness, and to keep people away from the light. So if you have your Bibles, first, or sorry, 1 Corinthians, 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and we're piggybacking on really what Darren and, and Matt have gone over the last couple weeks as, as we were out. So how great, chapter 3, verse 1, how great is the love the Father has what? lavished on us, all right, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. So, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And then as John so lovingly oftentimes wants to say, dear children. Sometimes he'll say little children, depending on the version used. But this idea is this, that he has been a disciple maker. He has led people to follow Jesus. And so he's got a, a clear interest in him. He loves them and he cares for them. So he says this, dear children, do not let anyone lead you what? Astray. Do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning, because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. So, as we dig into this, 
Uh, I'm going to challenge you with the, the, the idea behind this is how God destroys the devil's work. So let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, and uh, we'll jump into this sermon. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the fact that it corrects, it trains, it rebukes, it encourages us in all righteousness. And God, we know that where your word is, it does not return void. We know that you are the one at work. We know that you are the one that changes lives through the power of your word. So God, I pray today that as the truth is revealed, that God, as we are wrestling with this really in our heart, that we would understand exactly what it means to be a, a child of God. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Children, you love them. Sometimes you want to kill them. Sometimes you're, you're the greatest and closest of friends, and other times you could be the worst of enemy in their eyes, especially as a father or a mother. You know, I remember thinking at times with my dad when we were growing up because we were so alike. And we're, as a matter of fact, my dad and I are probably still, probably some, he's one of my best friends now. But my dad would have told me the exact same thing I tell my kids. My job is not to be your best friend. My job is to be your father. And as a father, I'm going to do things you're not going to like because I'm going to look out for your best interests. You might think I'm just cracking down, but I'm telling you this is the way it's going to be because I'm your father, I'm not your best friend. Now, as a result of adulting, all right, as a result of growing up and realizing what my dad had in store for me or what my dad really wanted to do in my life and what, how he wanted to lead me, um, we have become best friends now. Matter of fact, you know, I love, if, if we lived in Wyoming, I, I would probably see my dad every day. The first thing I do uh, every morning is call my dad. And sometimes I call my mom. I'm not, I, I, but if my dad doesn't answer, I call my mom. All right? So, but I do it every day. I call him. Hey, what's going on? How's it going? How are you feeling? Things like that. All right? But my role as a parent was to do what my, or my role as a parent now is to do what my kids need, not what my kids Want. And likewise, what we see all throughout Scripture is where God works in a way so that He does what we need, not what we necessarily want. And so what we're going to see today as we begin to dig into this is what it means to be a child of God. If you read 1 John, you see all throughout the first part of 1 John is where we're in the light, where He talks about in the light. We are in the light. God is light in Him. There's no darkness. If we claim to be in the light, but we don't do what He says, we're in the darkness. We don't have the truth in us, but if we do what he says, then we can walk in the light. So there's this idea that's going on if we want to walk in the light, okay? Number one, we renounce sin. We, we turn from sin. Number two, we walk in obedience, and as a result of that, we don't love the world. Darren covered that, okay? We don't love the world. Rather, we are against the world, and not in an enemy state because we have to begin to understand what Paul talks about in Romans. We don't battle against flesh and blood, do we? I, I am so sick, and I'm, I'm going to throw this out there, all right? I don't care your political persuasion, but listen to me on this, okay? And if you can't get this through your thick head, you got more problems than anything else, all right? But listen to me on this, all right? We have turned people into one of two things. You're either the victim or the villain. And that's a simple, blatant thing that's going on in the United States. And the problem with this is this. We turn into people into situations and settings where we say, well, I don't agree with that person politically, so he's a villain, and as a result, I'm a victim. We live in a victim-villain mentality in a world today where that's exactly what Satan wants to do. He wants to undermine the work of God. He wants to discredit everything that's going on, and as a result, we've turned everyone into villain and victim. And listen to me, if you don't like Trump, I don't care. 
because he's been appointed by God. Listen to me. I'm not saying that God just said, hey, I'm going to pick Trump. But listen to me. God allows, because of the situations and circumstances within a country, certain people to be in power positions as a result of what's gone on because of what we've done in our hearts. And I don't care if it was Trump or Obama or Clinton or Bush or whoever else would have been elected. God has allowed that person to become the power person because of what's going on in our nation. Remember when the people of Israel cried for a king? If you look at politics as your saving grace, listen, all I got to do is go to Facebook. There's a lot of people who are worshiping the Messiah of political savior. If you worship that way, what I'm here to tell you is it will always fail. Always. Because here's the beauty of it. That is a sinful person in the political realm. That sinful person, do they need to be held accountable? Yes, I'm not saying they do whatever they want. But they are a sinful person. And so the more we look at politics, the more we should see our need for grace. The more we should see our need for God's love. The more we should see our need for hope and mercy and peace through the power of Jesus Christ. So, Here's what I want to get into. I don't know where I even got off on that, but listen to me on this, all right? It, it drives me nuts what's going on because we've gone into this villain-victim mentality, okay? And the villain-victim mentality is something we have to get over. There is a battle taking place. And if you want to go down that road, we're going to be the villain or the victim when the reality should be is that we should be the victor. We are victorious in Christ because of what Christ has done first and foremost for us. Regardless of what goes on in the world, we will succeed because God has called us to succeed. Doesn't mean you're going to be rich. Doesn't mean you're going to be famous. Doesn't mean you're not going to have pain and heartache and sorrow and suffering. You are the victor because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. You walk in freedom. You walk in grace. You walk with forgiveness. You walk with great compassion and you walk with love for your brother because you are victorious in Christ first and foremost. So listen, when we talk about God destroying the devil's work, that's exactly what he does all throughout Scripture is that God is at work doing what he should do as the Father. Not doing what we think we want, but doing what he knows we need so that he can destroy the work of Satan because the work of Satan is at work all around us. And there's a battle that's going on. So here's the big idea, the big picture. If you remember anything else, I want you to remember this, that Jesus Christ appeared to take away our, our sins and destroy the devil's work. Simple, right? That's the simplest way to break down this section of Scripture, that Jesus Christ appeared to take away our sins and to destroy the devil's work. So here's three things. I don't have a question today. Normally, for those of you who aren't here normally, uh, I normally have a question based upon our, our big thesis statement, but I don't have a question today. I want you to see three things throughout this text that I believe stand out for us to understand everything we can out of this section of Scripture. And I'm not saying that we can unpack everything, but I want you to see some of the main things I see. Number one is this. If Jesus Christ appeared to take away our sins and destroy this devil's work, we have to see God's character on display. God's character is on display. Listen to what he says again in verses one through three. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Anybody, it, wives, have you ever been lavished with things from your husband's? Like, I know, I'm like, I'm, I'm sitting here going, lavish, huh? I don't think I've ever lavished my wife with anything, you know? But I would say I lavishly love her. I would never use that word. I wouldn't go up to you and go, man, I lavishly love my wife. 
all right? But this idea is played out that we see God's character. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, how it is bestowed upon us. His, his love is something we can't even begin to understand and comprehend. And so he says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Now, for us who maybe have real parents, who have, have parents who have, you know, we were born to them, we were raised by them, we were cared for them, we were loved by them. That is something that's huge, to be called their child. When I look back and somebody's like, yep, you're definitely your father's son, that's not a cut down, that's an encouragement. When I was working for my dad, I'd be working on a tire, I was replacing a valve stem one day, this is when I remember, I'm bent over the, the rim on the semi-tire and I'm replacing the valve stem and I hear, hey Cliff, and I didn't answer, and the guy goes, I say, hey Cliff, oh man, you're not Cliff, bro, I'm sorry. You know, that's an encouragement. But listen to what he says. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called his children. Listen, I think somebody who has been adopted by a parent who loves them and cares for them because maybe in the past they were neglected and they were forgotten Sometimes this is more meaningful to them. But listen to me as a child of God. This should be something that is drastically, has a great impact and great meaning on our life. Because he basically says, look, before, when you were walking in sin, you didn't have a father. But I have adopted you and you are my children. His love is so great that he's called us children. And so we, we begin to unpack this and we begin to see this love originates with the Father and it seeks the welfare of those being loved. In other words, he seeks our best interests, he seeks our, our best intentions, but it always, always doesn't mean that we're going to get our own way. See, this love originates with the Father. It's a gift from the Father that cannot be earned or bought. It's given freely. It cannot be withdrawn. In other words, you can't walk up to it as, as much as, as I love my kids. If they ever came up to me and said, I don't love you anymore, get away from you. That would never change my love towards him. And what you have to begin to understand is that it's exactly how it plays out with the Father. That he loves you. Matter of fact, the Bible says, John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world, that means all people, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes. See, here's, here's the, the, the big picture. God's love is always there, regardless whether you accept it or not. God's love is always there. So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the beauty of the picture is this. God's love is not built upon standards that you have to hold yourself up to. It's not based upon a price. If you were part of the Church of Scientology with, with like Tom Cruise and, and some of those guys, you'd have to pay $450,000, $600,000 to get to a certain level, and you're going to keep paying in and keep paying in and keep paying in. And then once you've hit about four or five million, then you might reach it. Now, I don't know about you, but I would never reach it. You know, we were talking about the lotto the other day, the, the, the mega millions or whatever, and I was sitting there going, 500 million. Like, not 5 million, 500 million. And Brooklyn goes, oh, that's not that much. And I went, yeah, you're definitely 10. <laughs> okay? But listen to me. It is not based upon anything that you and I have done. It's solely based upon the grace of Jesus Christ. 
So God has lavished it upon us. He has given it. He has bestowed it to us. The love of the Father is there. It is a gift from God the Father that cannot be earned. And God's love provides the way for us to be called children of God. Not just in title, but that's actually what we become. If you go back to Scripture and you remember in in Genesis chapter 12 where God tells Abraham, look, I'm going to bless you, and through you, people are going to be blessed, and those who curse you are going to be cursed, and those who bless you are going to be blessed. If you remember this, he says, Abraham, I'm going to change your name from Abram to Abraham because you're going to be the father of many nations. That's the beginning of this idea. Matter of fact, you might have remembered the same father, Abraham. Have many sons. You guys remember that? <laughs> like, have many sons, am I? Right? I don't even remember. I don't know why. Why did that get going? Right arm. By the time you got your head bobbing and you're spinning around, and you want to pass out. And they're like, fall down at the end. Yeah, I'm falling down because I'm dizzy. God's character is on display here in these first three verses. And what we begin to see is that when God's character is on display, that his love cannot be beat, it cannot be overcome. It can be walked away from, it can be neglected, it can be rejected. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you any less. God loves you just as much as he's loved everybody else. For the sinner and for the one who's already saved, he loves you the same. He sent Jesus for you. That's the beauty of the gospel. That regardless of where you come from, regardless of what you've done, regardless of who you were born to, this idea of being adopted into the family of God, to be a child of God is this, that regardless of what has happened in the past, you and I are free to be called children of God when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. That we could be called children of God. That's the beauty of the gospel. God's character is on display here. And what we see is in the midst of God's character, God's grace, God's overwhelming love, God's unconditional love is played out in these next couple of verses. See, the child of God is unknown by the world because they have different fathers. See, the child of God is unknown. Look, look as we jump along in verse 2. And this is what we are. Uh, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not been yet made known. So what we begin to see is as God's character is played out, the reason the world will not know us, the reason the world will reject us is because it rejected the Father first through the Son. When they deny Christ, they're just simply rejecting the love of the Father. Here's the problem that I would say sometimes we tend to struggle with here. All right, and, and I'll even go back to what, what Darren preached out of not too long ago. But listen, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has does not come from the Father but from the world. The reason the world does not know believers or does not acknowledge him is because they don't know the Father. And a lot of times what we want to do is we want to love the world We want to dabble in the world. We want to have the worldly things. And then we want to go to the Father and have our Christian Sunday moralistic, hey, everything's okay. What I want you to see is this, that when we truly understand the lavishness of God's love, 
when we begin to relate and grow and connect. My greatest joy now that I have the relationship with my father is I want my dad to be proud. I want to be obedient. I want to serve him. I want to love him. I'm going to take care of him. I want to, I want to do whatever I can. If, if my dad said, hey, I want you to do this, I would do it. And that's the reality of what should take place in our hearts. Because when we're children, a child wants to obey the father. Because the father has the best intent, the best motives, the best interest for us in the first place. And that's exactly what the father has. But I love the beauty of this verse again as you wrap up in verse 2 but we know that when he appears we shall be like him for we will see him as he sees see the reality is when Jesus comes back according to this text that we will be like him not being God but being in his presence we will be like him for we will see him as he is the truth of who Jesus is. We will be able to celebrate that. And then it says in verse 3, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Here's the biggest statement I could say today. If you are a believer in Christ, I want to ask you this question. Do you purify yourself every day? Not based upon your works, but do you go to God? Do you confess your sins? Do you admit and repent? Do you walk away from it? This idea of repentance, remember, is this, I was walking one way and I turn and walk the other way. See, if I want to purify myself, then I go to Jesus who purifies me. I confess the sins. Why? Because he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. He's faithful and just to forgive me of all and any unrighteousness that I have. And so he literally lays this out. So I want to ask you, believer, have you done this? Do you purify yourself? Why do I purify myself? I want, and I even say that. It's probably not. Have you been purified? Have you confessed your sins to God? Because God's character is on display. His love is evident. All he's asking for is obedience. So that's number one. God's character is on display. So thinking about that, Jesus Christ appeared to take away our sins and destroys the devil work, all right, the devil's work. So we see God's character on display. Number two is this. We see Christ coming to take away our sins. Chapter three, verses four through six. Everyone who sins breaks the law. As a matter of fact, sin is lawlessness. As a matter of fact, if you read the Bible, you'll hear over and over and over again, the reason the law was given, this is one of those deals that old school Baptists have a problem with, all right? I'm going I'm to step on some toes, okay? The reason old school Baptists have the problem with this is because you were taught that you could keep the Ten Commandments. Anybody, anybody? Raise your hand. You were taught you could keep Ten Commandments. Come on, be honest. Anybody tell you? You got to keep the Ten Commandments. Oh, come on. I'm a bunch of liars now. You're lying. See, I'm telling you, you got, yeah, it's, I mean, you grew up in the church, you were taught, you got to keep the Ten Commandments, right? Okay, well, that's a good standard, you want to set the standard, I'm not saying to just go out, oh, hey, you know, he said I don't, listen to me, the whole point of the law was to reveal your sin and need for Jesus Christ, that's what the New Testament says, the law reveals your sinful nature day in and day out. Lying? I mean, heck, sit down and talk baseball and you're going to have a guy lying. Sit down and talk fishing, Greg. You're going to have somebody lie, right? Sit down and talk hunting. Some dude's going to be like, I saw the biggest deer I've ever seen. Really? Why'd you shoot that little dude? Uh, you know, I mean, that's just a simple one. 
breaking the law is sinfulness or sin. I mean, everyone who breaks or who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But listen to what he says. The whole idea of what I want to get across. Christ's coming was to take away our sins. Because listen to what he says in verse 5. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Now listen to me. We said this earlier because here's the beauty of 1 John. 1 John's like, anybody who claims to be without sin is a liar and the truth is not in him, right? Remember me telling you that? You're like, wait a second. I thought he just said don't sin, all right? The idea is this, habitual, repetitive, disobedient sin. You know what to do, but in the reality, you're just like, no, I'm not going to do it. That's what he's saying. That is the truth. Everyone who sins breaks the law, in fact, sin is lost. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. So here's what we said earlier, all right? Jesus came not so you would be sinless, but so that you would sin less. Why? Because we want to walk in obedience, because God has called me to be obedient, because God says that there is a spirit working within me, the Holy Spirit, who corrects, who rebukes, and through the power of his word, he's going to train me to do what is right. So listen, Christ coming to take away our sin is the beauty of the gospel played out every day, day in and day out in our lives. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Now that's the Christ character on display again. Jesus, there was no sin in him. He was tempted in every way, but yet he was sinless according to Hebrews. So we play this out and we see how God works in and through to lavish us with his love by sending us Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the one who takes away our sin. So if we want to walk in the light, if we want to be a child of God, the whole idea is this, that we go to Jesus, we run to Jesus with open arms, confessing our sin, knowing that he is faithful and just and he will take away all of our sins. That's the beauty of what God does in your life. That's the beauty of what God does in any life. And then listen to verse 6. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Remember, now, here's the idea. There are, there are, there are wages, there are battles taking place. I always like to use this idea. Okay? There's a battle taking place day in and day out in your life. Okay? Every choice you make has a good or a bad idea. I mean, it's kind of like going, I'm going to go old school Looney Tunes. Remember the little white angel and the little red devil? Do it. Don't do it. Or wait, no, don't do it. Do it. You know, it's back and forth. It's like, shut up. I mean, it always seemed like, and think about, I'm just going back to Looney Tunes. This is Looney Tunes theology, all right? Okay. It always seemed like the cartoon would choose the what? It would always choose the, the bad one at first. There was the battle between good and evil. There's the battle between right and wrong. And every day we wake up, we have a choice. And I'm going to use this as an example. We have a choice. I can get more sleep, or I can spend some time in God's Word. Why? Because God's Word is what feeds me. It's what fuels me. It's what gets me going. It's what prepares my heart for the day. It's because, okay, so there's one. I have a choice when it comes to work. I can be on time, I can disobey my boss, or I can be a good employee who's going to work hard and obey what my boss says. I can choose to be obedient in how I raise my 
family, how I raise my kids. I can choose to be obedient in the way I go to school and how I respond to teachers or how I respond to coaches and things like that. All of those things are things that play in day in and day out where I can choose. And there's a battle going on. And regardless of what happens, there is a battle day in and day out where Satan is trying to do everything he can. And that's where we're going to get to the last point. He wants to do everything he can to get you off the thing. Everyone. There is no elite group above God's standard. And so while those who had left the church here in 1 John, remember there was a group who had left the church who claimed to be sinless, who claimed that Jesus wasn't the only way, they go through this part. And so John is trying to lay this out. But everyone who practices sin, and I believe that most of the times in our lives, we have a soft or a very small view of the sin we have in our lives. I think one of the biggest problems we have usually is this. We are really good at identifying everybody else's sin, and we're really bad at confessing our sin. It's easy to look at somebody else, isn't it? It's always easier to go, man, look at how messed up that person is. Look at everything that they do. Instead of looking inward and going, God, what are you doing in my life? God, look at how messed up I have been. See, the good news of the gospel is that regardless of how messed up you've been, God's love is still lavished on you. That's played out. Why? Because Jesus Christ came to take away our sins. And then verse 7, listen to the third thing I see. All right, if Jesus Christ appeared to take away our sins and destroys the devil's work, we wanted to see that God's character was on display. Number two, we wanted to see Christ coming to take away our sins. And here's the third thing I want you to see, that Jesus' work destroys Satan's work. Listen to what happens again in verse seven. Dear friends, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous, talking about Jesus, just as Jesus is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God, Jesus Christ, appeared was to destroy the devil's work. What's the devil's work? Yeah, John chapter 8, verse 44 says this. The thief comes, or sorry, John chapter 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. So what is Satan's work? What is the devil's work? To steal, to kill, and destroy. If Jesus comes to destroy Satan's work, what does he come to do? To give, to live, and to build up. What Satan sets out to steal from you, God sets out to restore in you. What Satan sets out to kill in you, God sets out to make alive in you. And what Satan sets out to destroy, God wants to rebuild. That's why we have a world that is stuck in depression and suicidal thoughts. That's why we have a world that is addicted to more technology and more games than ever before. That's why we have a world that says family doesn't matter, but it's, it's everything else that I can do. Money matters. This matters. That matters. God doesn't matter, but this does. Why? Because Satan has set out to, do, to dupe you and I into thinking that everything else matters. And Jesus came to destroy that. Every version that Satan teaches you will lead you astray regardless of what you think. I had a friend, you know, there, there was an, an, uh, an old adage, and, and I remember this when I, was, when I was in the Navy. The reason I bring it up is I was in the Navy you know, there was this, used to be this 
witnessing technique. I think still some people use it. But the question was, if you were to die tonight, where would you go, heaven or hell? You guys remember that? Maybe you were taught that, all right? Some people would, I mean, man, I got some friends right now. They'd be like, dude, I'm splitting hell wide open. We're going to have a party. And I could tell you point blank, I've got some people I play softball with. I got some people that I was in the Navy with. And the reason I brought up is when I was in the Navy, this guy said that. Dude, me and Satan, we're going to be partying like crazy. But I want you to see the reality of what takes place. See, Satan is not your buddy. The devil has no good intention for you. Listen again what he says, all right? He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. See, here's the reality. Satan wants you to believe this idea that he has your best interest in mind when the reality is he has no interest for you other than to steal, kill, and destroy from you. So in order to walk in the light, in order to understand what it means to be a child of God, I have to understand that Satan is going to work overtime to create a coup within my own life because he doesn't want you to do what you're supposed to do, what is right. He wants you to do everything that is against God's will in the first place for your life. So Jesus comes to destroy the work of Satan. And listen, it's not any small victory. Here's, it's the biggest victory that's ever going to happen in the history of humanity. It's not like, oh, hey, we just won one battle. It's this idea that Jesus has already won everything. You know, I, I love, listen, I love to brag when it comes to sports. I don't have much to brag on lately because the Chiefs beat the Broncos the last five times. Soon to change. <laughs> I do, I love, I love, and, and listen, I can talk, you know, I was telling somebody, I was telling you guys, today, like, I can talk trash with the best of them. And I don't mind getting it back. Just give it back. I'm good. We're good. I can take it. That's Joe Cool. Who's that? That's. <laughs> but but listen. <laughs> Funny guy. <laughs> but but but. <laughs> yeah. I don't get to see it on the TV. Turn it off. I see how it is. <laughs> all right. But, but, but here's the beauty of this. All right. Where was I going? <laughs> all right. I, I, don't, I don't remember where I was going with that. Oh, greatest victory. All right. Listen, here's, here's the truth in, in all of this. All right. We can, we can laugh about Chiefs and Broncos. We all know Chiefs, Chiefs won't be in heaven. You know why God's a Broncos fan, right? I'm just joking. <laughs> why else would sunsets be blue and orange? Um, so, <laughs> I'm joking with you. Listen to me. We could joke about this all we want, but here's the beauty. The greatest battle ever won was Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection that defeats sin and defeats death. Because the very thing that Satan thought he had won, he lost. And the reality is this. You know, we could talk about like the biggest loser but do you want to be grouped with the biggest loser in history? Because when you walk away from God, when you reject Jesus Christ, that's what you're doing. You're saying, I choose to walk as a loser. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but it's pretty negative. I choose not to walk in victory, but I choose to be misled by the greatest deceiver ever. 
And we can talk about deception in politics all we want. And we could say, I can't believe people would vote this way. And I can't believe people would vote that way. But the reality is this, and hear me out. When you choose to walk in obedience to the biggest deceiver in history, you have been duped into following the biggest lies and you reject the greatest love that has ever been offered, ever. That God, who loved me so much, would lavish his love upon me because he knew that Satan was at work. He knew that Satan was going to lead me astray. He knew that Satan was going to work overtime to keep me off the path of the straight and narrow, off the narrow road and on the broad road, out of obedience from God and to follow him. And the reality is that when God sent his son, Jesus Christ, he calls us children and we become children. Listen to me, this is how we become children. By putting our faith and trust in Christ first. Listen, God has created everybody in his image. You are valued, you are loved. You have a purpose. You have meaning. You have hope. There is a plan for you in the future. God wants to do something great. But the greatest deception ever created by Satan was this, that you don't matter. People don't love you. That there are going to be people who are going to reject you. They're going to walk away. Listen to me. When you buy into the worldly system, you're going to run to everything else, whether that is drugs and alcohol. Maybe it's even prescription drugs because you're trying to get over the suicidal thoughts and the depression you're dealing with or things like that. It may be those things you deal with. It may be that you're looking for fulfillment in somebody else. If I just had somebody who loved me in that way, if I, if I, if I could find a mate, if I could find somebody who was going to date me, somebody, listen, over and over throughout society, throughout history, we have seen how Satan works. And what he does is he fills you full of lies that you think would matter, that in the end really don't matter at all. They don't lead to life, they lead to imprisonment. They don't lead to joy. They usually lead to jealousy. Because you look at everybody else and go, man, if I just had what they had. No, that'll never be. You have to find your value, your purpose, your hope, your meaning in Christ and Christ alone because everything else will fail you. And listen to me, I'm speaking to you as a pastor because I want you to know this. I will fail you. And I want you to know that. Because I'm no different than you other than the simple fact that God has called me to be the pastor. You and I, we're in the same boat. I don't come up here trying to be better. I don't want you to ever feel like I come up here thinking I'm better. Because you and I, we're the same people. I struggle with the same things you struggle with. I have to go to Jesus day after day and go, God, I, you got to forgive me because I just lashed out in anger. God, I just said something I shouldn't have said. God, I just did something I shouldn't have done. And I need you, Jesus, more now than I've ever needed you before because without you, I am hopeless. And listen to me, Satan could sit right here and he could puff me up. Brian, without you, this church could do nothing. Brian, without these people, would be hopeless. Listen to me, if you put your faith and trust in me, you've missed the big picture because I will fail you. But Jesus... 
He will never fail you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He won't walk away. His love is there. His love is ready to be taken. Listen, I use this oftentimes, but you have to think about this. When I go to my kids at Christmas time with a gift or with a birthday, I'm sitting there. But in order to, to accept the gift, what do they got to do? They got to receive it. They have to take hold of it. And that's what Jesus offers. He offers a gift, which is life. Satan offers something that looks like a gift, but it's really the greatest gag gift you could ever get because you're going to open it up and you're going to realize this isn't what I thought it was. I went down the wrong road. I'm in trouble because I made the wrong decisions. And listen to me, I want you to hear me out. We've all made decisions. We've all gone the wrong way. We've all struggled, but there's a way to make it right. And that's to put my faith and trust in Christ. And maybe you've already done that. Maybe you say, I've, I've put my faith and trust in Christ, but maybe it's just a simple fact of this, that I've got to go to God now today to confess my sins, to say, Jesus, I need you now more than ever because without you, I am hopeless. Without you, I, I struggle. Without you, I, I don't feel love. Without you, I, I run to things I know I shouldn't run to, but with you. And when Paul says this, with you, I can do all things. I can overcome my addictions. I can overcome my insecurities. I can overcome my weaknesses, not based upon my strength, but based upon the strength of Christ working in me. That's the only way you can do it. Why? Because I will fail you. Anybody else will fail you. But Jesus, he will never fail you. So here's how I want to close. I had some other things I wanted to say, but I just want to leave it at that. Do you love Jesus? Have you ever accepted his love? Have you ever put your faith in him? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? If you want life at its best, then you have to start with the creator of life. If you want life that's going to be abundant, then you have to start with the Father who offers us life more abundant in his son, Jesus Christ. And so here's the truth. Here's the reality. I want to go ahead and have every head bowed and every eye closed. Is this. Have you accepted the death of Jesus Christ on the cross as the power of God? that destroys the work of the devil. He paid the price for your sins. He paid the price for my sins. He pays the price for the messes and the mistakes that we've all made in our lives. That is the foundation of the love of the Father. And I want you to understand this, that the only person who can satisfy every need you have in your life is Jesus. And so maybe today, as we close with this song, maybe today you'd say, I've never put my faith and trust in Christ, and I want to do that for the first time. And if that's you, listen, there is nothing magical about coming up here other than to just make it public. But I want you to do this. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'd be saved. At this point, if you believe that, then you are saved. I confess it with my mouth. Jesus is the Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. That's the beauty of the gospel. But I also believe this wholeheartedly, that we don't keep it silent, that you let other people know. And the beautiful thing about this is here, 
amongst other people, believers, there may be some here who aren't unbelievers, you can stand before a group of people who will love you, who will accept you, who already accept you, but we will love you, we will care for you, we will encourage you, we will pray with you, we will help you, we will walk beside you. And what Jesus just says is you got to make it public. Let people know, let the whole world know. And so we're going to close with this song. If you put your faith and trust in Christ today for the first time and you want somebody to talk to, I'm going to be up here. I'd love to talk to you at the end. Just let, let us know that that's it. But here's also the way I want to go as we wrap up with this. Believers, listen to me. Have you gone to Jesus to confess your sins? Have you let him carry the weight and the burdens? Have you repented of what's gone on? Have you walked in him because we should be purified just as he is pure? Let Jesus deal with the sins that you struggle with day in and day out. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the love that is lavished upon us, that we could be called your children, and that you as our Father have the best interest, the best motives, the best intentions for us to walk forward, that we can walk in victory and not be a villain, that we can walk in victory again and not be the victim of what Satan wants to do. God, I pray that we would get over the victim mentality and we would walk victorious because we walk with the greatest victorious king that has ever lived, and we stand and we sing as a result of that. So God, today I pray that we'd be moved with compassion. We would be encouraged with your great grace and your great love that God your spirit would move amongst us and that we would respond with great victory because we walk victorious. We walk under the banner of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.